Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's Great Conversation features Matthew Ryan Davies. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. My name's Andrew Popel. Each week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2SER in Sydney. Final Draft is dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. And every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling to help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of those lands and pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands, acknowledging that these are unceded lands and treaty has never been made with the First Nations of this country. Now, Things We Bury transports the reader to the town of Pent, where Matthew offers up a portrait of life in a regional town through his central family, the Hardings. And it's a sad fact that tragedy brings us together. Siblings Dane, Jack and Josh don't get together as much as they should, spread out across the country, with Jack in Sydney, Josh all over the place as his TV work takes him, and Dane, who never left Pent. It just seems like there's never enough time. Now the siblings converge on their hometown after their father is in a car accident that leaves him in a coma. And it's not just the accident. Each of the siblings has their own drama eating away at their peace. This reunion isn't destined to go smoothly. Pent is no longer the same town they grew up in, but the ghosts of the past still rest there. While their dad remains in a coma, questions emerge that have them wondering if this was more than an accident. What was happening in their dad's life that could have led to these tragic consequences? Join me as we discover Matthew Ryan Davies' Things We Bury. Hello. G'day. Am I calling you, you Matt me? or Matthew? I can, yeah, I can. I can see it's Matt on the screen, but I've got Matthew Ryan Davies emblazoned in all my notes. <laughs> well, um, it's up to you. I mean, people call me Matt day to day. I've only actually, because I, um, I, published, I, I published before in YA and I published under Matt Davies, mm. um, I wanted to differentiate this because it's in a different kind of category of book. So, um, yeah, I, so I decided to use my full name, which is Matthew Ryan Davies, um, yeah, I mean, I probably wasn't in the in the middle of the conversation going to be like, now, Matthew Ryan Davies, please tell me. It's going to sound like... Exactly. M- <laughs> Mouthful. Your mum's calling from the other room and you're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I mean, people haven't... I haven't been called Matthew since I was, I don't know, maybe 12 or something like that. Thanks for joining me today. It's going to be fun, I think. No worries. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I've listened to lots of your interviews um, over the years, and I know you ask very in-depth questions. So I don't know which way you're going to go because you go in all different directions. And um, so, yeah, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't really know what to expect. Look, thank you just for saying that. Like you're you're listening um, because that's amazing. Like, um, so I love meeting people that listen, just as I'm sure you love meeting people that read. Yeah, I do. Um, and it's strange, you know, doing into like, like this situation because I'm so familiar with your voice because I've heard it so much, but you've never heard mine. So I feel like I know you, but you don't know me at all. So although you probably know a bit about me, but just from reading the book, you probably get a sense of the kind of person I am, I suppose, um, the kind of things that I'm interested in. I mean, pull, um, pulling back the curtain there, I long ago learnt to, to I, I just, I don't, associate the content with the person even even when i know people like i'm going to pull out um michael muhammad ahmed all of mm-hmm. his books are sort of a broadly auto fiction but yes i try even like the in the multiple conversations i've had with him i try not to put too much of a 
I am reading your life or I am necessarily reading you because the moment I do, an author says, you know this is fiction, yeah. right, Andrew? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew that. <laughs> well, the book that I'm writing now um, that will come out next year the um, the protagonist is I haven't given it to my publisher yet, but the protagonist is a, is a writer mm. and it's written in first person. So yeah, so people will and 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 I had one reader have a look at it, a friend who had a look at it, and he, she said, you know that everything this guy does, people are going to assume it's you and think it's you. Mm. Um, and I'm like, yeah, I guess that, that is going to happen. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. That might change. I, I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely aware of that. That's where you just – just in the first chapter, you just add a little paragraph that says protagonist 50, finishes his thousandth crunch, stands up and admires rock hard abs in the mirror. And he's like, yeah, That yeah. is me. That is me. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> Doing crunches right now. Um Let's jump in. I think I wrote these questions a lot better than I'm sort of riffing now. <laughs> we'll give it a go. We're okay. gonna. I'm gonna yes. set us up with an intro, yeah. Um, yeah. and then and then uh, yeah, yeah. Because um, I, I know from listening, because I always listen to the podcast. I don't listen to the radio. I always listen to the podcast. And there's always you always have this little. You always have this kind of introductory stuff at the beginning before, and then you go, okay, let's start, and then you have this starting point for the the actual interview. So um, you, you I know how I know how you roll. You can thank my wife for that. Um, the first, the first year or so of the podcast, like the radio show becoming um, the podcast as well, I just started with my my normal intro, and I was chatting to my wife, and she doesn't like. I think she was worried that I wasn't going to take criticism well, and and she was just like, you know, it's so repetitive. It's actually really off putting, and I'm like, oh. And there was a real trend in podcasts more generally to start dropping some of the little bits like, hey, can you like, like a a classic question in radio when you're sound checking is like, what did you have for breakfast? So, you know, just dropping little moments like that in and humanizing the whole process. So yeah, it's my wife that sort of makes all of that happen. So you're, you're absolutely right. There's a lot of this that it's still quite a heavily edited intro, but it it's edited to sound natural. All right, shall we? Yes, that's. I am Andrew Popel, and I am welcoming to the show today Matthew Ryan Davies. Matthew is a freelance copywriter and editor. He ghostwrites nonfiction books, writes scripts for educational videos and documentaries. Most importantly for us, though, he is an author. He has the young adult novel, the, This Thing of Darkness. It was highly commended in the Victorian Premier's Literary Awards, and today he's joining us to discuss things we bury. It is his debut adult novel, Matt. Very exciting to have you here. Thanks for having me, Andrew. I mean, thanks for reading the book and for having me on to have a chat about it. I'm, uh, do you know what? As I reread your bio there, I'm just suddenly like, I want to ask you about all your writing because you bring such a diverse array of skills to this. But I don't know, like, yeah, let, let's just set the scene. I'm riffing now, but thinking about your process. What is different? Like, before we get into things we bury, what was different about that to all the writing that you do and an enormous amount of writing? Yeah, I mean, well, on a day-to-day basis, um, my work is mostly editing now and it's um, and it's within the, the health sector. Um, so I work with, um, you know, Department of Health and um, health agencies like um, the Cancer Council and uh, Beyond Blue and I edit um, university textbooks for 
uh, medical students and nursing students. So I'm, I'm working in the health arena all the time. Um, but I've also, I mean, I've been freelancing for about 15 or 16 years. And um, in that time, I've also ghostwritten, um, you know, business books for people. And I've written for health websites and, um, you know, the educational stuff I do with um, with production work, um, with film video production. So, uh, yeah, there's a lot of different kinds of writing that I've been doing over the years um, and, you know, trying to write fiction as well and trying to get fiction published in the meantime. Um, I also wrote a book, which is not in my bio, but I wrote a book um, of tips for first-time parents as well that was published under my own name. So, you know, a bit of self-help, a, you know, a bit of business, a, a YA, and, um, and now this. So, yeah, very, very varied. I, like, so... People that listen will know that in my day job, I'm a speech pathologist. I have to write reports. I write notes all the time. And I find in my head that it helps if I do have a sense of, a, I guess, a narrative drive to actually, you know, make it readable for for people who don't do the thing that I do every day. I want there to be a thread from beginning to end. I want things to flow with a sense of that, you know, um, progression, do you find, did you find you bringing that to your technical writing or is there an element of your technical writing that brings, comes into your artistic novelistic writing? Well, I guess with the, um, with the freelance stuff, it depends on, on the brief. I mean, so often when I'm working with kind of big government agencies, um, you know, I get something handed to me that kind of says, you know, well, this has been already ticked off by the minister. So, you know, just go, just go lightly. Um, but, you know, there's so many competing kind of um, demands in terms of, you know, political messages and making something readable. And so often, um, you know, government documents have this kind of vagueness about them, you know, where they don't want to commit to anything and they say we are working towards or we are very interested in doing this or that kind of stuff. And I'm, and a lot of sort of passive language that says um, this will be achieved by, or, you know, as opposed to saying we will do this, you know, that kind of, that kind of stuff. And so, um, but there, there is a move now, um, much more especially in Victoria, where I do most of my work um, into into plain into plain English. So I'm I'm doing a lot of uh, that kind of work where I'm trying to turn complex government policies into plain English, and that's difficult because it's really hard. Um, there's kind of a certain language that that. Um, Mm. it's uh you know bureaucrats like to use um and sometimes it's very hard to find alternatives for that that kind of language um i want to so, reference the show do you know the show utopia remember the show utopia yes, yeah, yes, if, yes, I, I, yes. is this this is the sort of language we're talking about right <laughs> yes exactly exactly and so it's hard and so i mean i sort of do my best and then i send it back to them and all the tra- changes you know in word are tracked and so they um what they do with them after that I, I i don't worry about you know that's that's it's their document it's their it's their business i mean i make the suggestions i try to make them more readable and if they, they they accept those suggestions they don't accept those suggestions i move on to the next project so i don't let it worry me um but yeah that's definitely there's that and there's also um there's also read uh accessibility as well so readability is one side but then also accessibility so the other thing that i do in my work especially with government documents is i make sure that documents are accessible to people um, with low vision or people who are using screen readers so there's all this kind of formatting stuff uh, that you need to do which you would appreciate in your work um Mm. to to make to make documents more accessible look Matt, I could keep talking about this. Thank you so much. Like, too often we we dive into a story and not think about the craft. So thank you for that indulgence there. But I I, I want us to get to things we bury, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yes, yes. Okay. 
It's a sad fact that tragedy brings us together. That's what Dane, Jack, Josh, they're learning as the siblings converge on their hometown of Pent after their father is in a car accident. At first, the proximity resumes all the petty squabbles of youth, but Pent is no longer the same town they grew up in. While their father remains in a coma, the siblings are beginning to learn that perhaps there's more to the accident than they first assumed. Now, Matt, I want to set the scene. It's often the case that geography becomes something of a character or a driving force in the narrative. Take us to Pent. Walk us down the main street. Well, Pent's a, um, it's, it's a fictional town in regional Victoria, but um, really in my head, it's the town of Benella, um, which I've visited lots of times. And it, it's, um, it, I mean, it's not exactly the same. Benella doesn't have a, a big town square, which is a, is a, is a focal point of, of Pent. Um, but it, it, it kind of represents that town. And, you know, as we, as we say in the book, there are some people who, are born to stay in a in a small town environment, and there are, and there are others that um, are, are busting to get out at the first opportunity. And Dang, and the oldest brother, he is he, he he's born to stay, um, but the other two, Jack, um, the middle one, and um, and Josh, that they, they want to leave at the, at the first opportunity, um, and they don't return much. So um, when they do return after their dad is in this this car accident. Um, they start to clock some some differences, and they're a bit older now, so they they can they can appreciate um, Pent for what it is now in a way that they couldn't before. Um, they both live in big towns now, one in Melbourne, one in Sydney. Um, so they've also got that that viewpoint as well of um, you know, and there are there are lots of comparisons that they make from their their perspective in the book um, in terms of you know what's good about a big town and what's good about a, about a small town. Tell me they don't that. always agree. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell me about this idea, born to stay, born to go, because I think we're all familiar with it. But I'd also know. I mean, there's about a fifteen. I think it's about a fifteen year age difference between Josh, who's the youngest, and Dane, who's the eldest, or maybe not quite fifteen. Ten, about ten. It's about ten. Oh, I thought jo- yeah. I, I thought Dane was in his forties, yeah. but I mean, is there anything to do with the age difference? Is there anything to do with um, shifting faces, or is it is it really about how you're able to reach your dreams in the place where you are? I don't think it's about age. I mean, I think it's more about the um, the personalities. I mean, it, well, maybe age in the from the point of view that um, you know, I, Dane's the oldest, um, so I think he has um, he's been sort of raised in a in, in a in a bit bit of a different way. And as you said, by the time Josh came, by the time Josh came along, um, you know, the parents had been parenting for for ten years and. Um, you know, they, they were very involved in, in Dane's activities at, at school and he, he was very into, into footy and sport when he was um, at school and they got him very involved in that. They also got involved in Jack's stuff. Jack, we probably should mention, is a girl. Um, that's short for Jacinta. She's the, she's the middle child. Um, and But by the time they got down to Josh, they were sort of they were sort of a bit over it. They were sort of a bit, a bit over all the, you know, the school events and all that sort of stuff. And so he got sort of left to, 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 to raise himself. Um um, but the other thing is about Dane is that I don't know if this is a, a reflection of him being the oldest, but he's got a very kind of loyal personality and he, he feels a, a deep um, weight of responsibility and um, he works in the family business. His dad um, has a construction company um, and Dane works in that business and he feels very much tied to 
um, supporting that business. I don't know if it's because he's the oldest or if that's just his personality, but um, he, he wants to get out of the business, which I'm probably, I'm sure we'll probably get into later, but um, he does feel this responsibility to, to stay there and to, and to support the family in that way where the other two don't care, you know, they're, mm. they're quite happy. They were quite happy to leave um, both for different reasons. Um, but Dane wanted to stay. Each of each of the personalities and and how they are able to realise or have their dreams thwarted is yeah we're definitely going there in a sec but I want to I just want to stay with Pent a little bit longer because it really does inform so much of of what drives the narrative forward. Uh, the book begins Jack and Josh they're both returning to Pent they they've noted the changes on their return home and some of them I think they're they're thinking oh this is this is a good thing. It's a good thing, but is it in character? They're, they're not sure. Now, their family, through the construction business of their father and, and Dane, they're integral in this changing uh, changing face of Pent. But it does come at a price, and a flashpoint is the project to build apartments on the site where uh, an old church stands in the middle of town. This project is dividing locals. I was wondering what you were wanting to reflect here, just broadly and in the specific, on the changes that these more rural areas of Australia are facing. The, um, I guess the, uh, what's the term that we love to use? Um, oh, there's a beautiful term. Uh, gentrification. You mean? Gentrification. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> Wine bars and cafes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I guess, I guess for Jack and Josh, they have this, um, they have this image of Pent in their mind um, and that image supports all the reasons they wanted to leave. You know, this small town, this small town environment, you know, everybody knows everybody's business. Um, they wanted, well, in Josh's case, he wanted bigger things. He wanted to become an actor um, and he knew he wouldn't be able to, to get that kind of work, you know, in, in rural Victoria. So he, he moves to Melbourne and, um, and Jack just wants to get away from that small town thinking and, and, um, and from, you know, a couple of incidents that, that, that happened that she wants to sort of move away from. And when they come back, they have this kind of set idea of what Pent is. And then they start seeing these things. They start seeing, the, you know, the baristas and the good coffee and the wine bar and, um, and all these ways that Pent is, is moving forward. Um, and it, it doesn't accord with, with their image of what Pent is. So they start to feel a bit conflicted. Um, and also because they're older, they're getting up there and they're getting older. And with Jack, um, she's looking at sort of settling down. Um, she comes back to, when she comes back to Pent, she tells her family that she is engaged um, and they didn't know about it. So she's kind of moving this other, this other um, part of her life and, these things are, are looking a bit more appealing, you know, mm. being in a, in a small town where people know you and people can support you and her parents would be around if she has children, all these types of, types of things. These kind of things are only occurring to her now that she's back there and she's starting to, to appreciate it. Um, in terms of the apartments, yep, so, um, so Dane's uh, – the construction company that Dane works for, Stephen is his father, um, his company, they are building the first sort of low-rise apartment block the first block in um in pent and it is dividing the town as you said because to build this apartment block they need to pull down a church um and some people are happy about it and um, some people are not the church has had a bit of a mixed history um not very well attended now um so some people are happy about it and are happy for pent to move on and to sort of you know move into the future whereas others um want to hold on to pent's past Mm. 
I'm fascinated also, as you were sort of saying there, um, Josh and Jack particularly looking at the town with different eyes and this very fun but very sort of superficial thought that probably goes through all of our all of our minds is, you know, you have a weekend away or you travel somewhere and you're just thinking, well, if it's got good coffee, maybe I could live here. <laughs> and re- like realistically, they were never staying for a flat white. But um, mm. it is a very interesting very interesting thought process. I think we now need to start to move. We're going to transition from place to character and, and place and identity. Place and identity are so often entwined in Australian culture. So mm. Josh has moved away. He changed his name to build a showbiz career and distinguish himself from, I guess, the small town boy that he still feels a little bit inside. And Jack still struggles to build relationships. And she's always denying, I guess, a truth of her young life. How do you think, I, I want to, the question is about, I guess, broadly place and identity, but how do you think each of the Harding siblings have been shaped by where they come from? Because they've, they've come from the same place and, and all turned out very differently. Yeah, I think it's, um, I think in this case, it's, it's perhaps less about place, but more in place in terms of, uh, of the town, but more about their place in the family mm. um, and the way that they, you know, like, you know, Dane is, is, is very loyal to his family. He's very kind of protective of his, his family and his parents and, and, and doesn't want anyone saying anything sort of bad about them. Um, he, his, his mother is very involved in his life because he looks after his kids um, from time to time. And, you know, he, he lives in the town. Um, whereas Jack she's she's very close to her dad but not so close to her mum and um as we sort of talked about before there are a number of reasons why she wanted to to get out of pent um pretty quickly and one of them was was her mother um and with josh he was just looking for bigger opportunities you know he saw himself as much bigger than pent um he saw himself having a big a big career on the screen um which he couldn't achieve in pent so that was kind of the reason he wanted to get out. And as I said, they all had these kind of fixed views of, of what Pent is. And even with Dane, I mean, he, even though he's been there the whole time, he's still got a fixed view of what he wants it to be. And some of the aspects, um, some of the things that are changing in Pent, he's not really on board with because he, he, he can see that it's becoming, a, you know, like you said, gentrified, it's becoming a, a you know, there's some sort of city thinking, I guess, that's creeping into mm-hmm. the community kind of um, feel that he 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 senses is is disappearing from Pent, and he he doesn't like it. Mm. I want to keep going. I want to keep pulling on these threads. I I have a very big focus in what I want to talk to you about is the siblings. I mean, the siblings, their dynamic it drives the narrative forward. Um, we have to acknowledge, I guess, there is this character that looms over the whole story. And and rather than just exclusively focus on Stephen, though, um, I, I feel like um, see, this is how bad it is. I've forgotten, <laughs> I've forgotten the sibling's mum's name. Can we talk Blaze. a little bit, Blaze? We don't, we don't get it much because they call her Ma all the time, and so from and then we always see it from from mm. their perspective. So we don't, we don't hear her name, but it's it's Blaze, mm. Blaze. And their presence, so Blaze and Stephen's presence, uh, it infuses the narrative without. I mean, Stephen is literally, um, you know, we don't we don't begin the story meeting him. He's had an accident. He's in a coma. What would you tell us about them to help us understand the siblings? Um, well, I, I love writing about families because. Mm-hmm. You can, I mean, there is so much there, you know, there is so much buried there. 
And I mean, th- this this family buried. They're, they're not, buried. Yes, <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this family, they're not a family who, who talk. They don't open up to each other. None of them uh, are very forthcoming um, in terms of, of, of the issues or the problems in their lives. Um, and so when we get when they get together, you know, at the start, they kind of revert to their childhood kind of animosities and, you know, picking on each other and having goes at each other and all this sort of stuff. I mean, there's love there. There's definitely love there. And that comes out more and more as they spend more and more time together. They remember um, and they connect with 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 what um, all those things that do connect them, um, but yeah, there's lots of there's lots of childhood animosities that, that come out, particularly between the um, the kids and the parents. There are jealousies between the kids. You know, one parent favoured you, one parent favoured the other one, and I didn't get enough attention, and you got more attention, and all these things festered in their childhood. And now that they're adults, um, and they you know, and they're all stuck together in this this house in this town for this period of time while their father's in hospital. Um, you know, it all it all comes out and it all comes to the surface, and uh, it becomes sort of like a bit of a, a pressure cooker situation. And all of these things that really had to come out at some point do come out um, because of the things that they are going through in their in their personal lives, and they're all going through a period of change. Um, and you know, change can be painful, and it, they start to analyze you know, the, the, um, the origins, I guess, of, of, of these relationships and, and how they ended up where they are and why, why they're not close. Um, so, you know, it's kind of a, a revelation for them all. Mm. I, I'm, I'm really hesitant to use, you know, big catch-all words like universal, but there is something universal about the way the relationships are playing out. And we talked a little bit off mic about how the title things we buried, the byline on the cover about secrets, love and lies. And and even just the the visuals of the cover sort of it, it really kind of jumps out as as thriller and mystery and suspense. And they're all there. Like they're all there. But what I think builds up the things we bury, the secrets, it's it's very much that family dynamic. And it has, I would say, that universal aspect. Because we all deal with it, the happiest families still have adult children who have to negotiate a new power dynamic with their parents. Um, You know, the the most amazing families in the world still have to deal with the fact that we grow, we change, we evolve with the world around us. And that's kind of what you really tapped into, I found. Um, Even... Even the ways that um, even when Dane and Josh are very, you know, they're, they're very much getting along together. They're having a, a low-carb beer that's, you know, a little bit <laughs> a little bit nicer than they expected it to be. They're sitting in their dad's kind of quiet place in the garage and that's where that terrific exchange happens where Dane is kind of bemoaning that with the uh, with the gentrification of Pent, the, a little bit of the community spirit might be getting lost and... It's very interesting. I was very interested in that conversation because having spent a lot of my life living more in the sort of the city or suburbs, I thought, well, I wonder how Dane knows because I've, I've had really good community experiences and it's like I think in some ways he is making assumptions because it helps him understand what he's seeing. And, um, yeah, I don't know. That was that was really interesting. Dane, Dane particularly interested me because he he was in the middle of everything he was the one who stayed yeah i mean dane's uh, i think it, dane is um i think represents what a lot of um men 
feel now and that is that pressure between um I guess doing what you want in your life and I, I, or I guess maybe like your, your own wants and your, what you perceive as your own wants and your own needs and the wants and the needs of your family. You know, that, that question, that was one of the questions that started this book for me is, you know, will you be happier if you put your own needs first or if you put your family's needs first? And that's something that he continually struggles with. Um, and he has always put his family's needs and wants um, before his own. And now he's getting a, uh, a bit older, he's starting to realise that he's not completely fulfilled and um, he's not doing what he, he wants to do, but he's really, he's still struggling with this, this, this idea of, you know, he's being, he's being pulled in, in different places. You know, his wife's not working at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been, they've had some financial strain in their, in, in, in their lives. Um, the dad's in hospital. So he's taking over the business, you know, Dane's wanting to, to move on to something else, but, you know, with his loyalty to the family, he, he wants to stay, you know, he feels he has to stay really um, in the family business. And yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of men go through that. There's still, there's still a lot of, uh, of pressure on men or, you know, they put on them on themselves to, to be that provider. Um, and that's how we got into this situation in the first place with, um, with joining the family business um, was his wife got pregnant and or he's at the end he um, he had to he had to get a job you know he, he was he was wanting to, this was now much younger you know he's wanting to he, he was wanting to do different things with his life mm. but um, then responsibility took over and um, and he, he stuck with it which is the complete opposite and this is what I wanted mm. to, to do with these two brothers the completely opposite the complete opposite of what Josh has done, you know, Josh has put himself forward um, and he's put, he's, he's put himself and his own wants first before his families. And he has ended up in a completely um, different situation. Mm, yeah. Yeah. As really the, it's tempting to always look at parallels, I guess. And I mean, there, if we think about the story of Stephen and Blaze, we learn about their, their sort of history together and Blaze's career and and then thinking about Dane and Nairi uh, and then also Josh. It's always tempting to see parallels of, of ambition and uh, I guess having ambition thwarted and how you move forward from that. Yeah, because as we learn um, in that conversation you were talking about in, in the garage with Josh and, with Josh and um, Dane is that, you know, Josh – had dreams. He had things he wanted to do with his life. Mm. And, you know, um, Josh had no idea, had no idea about it. You know, he had this kind of view of his brother and, and, and what he was. And, um, as, as they talk, it, it comes out that, you know, just like Josh, Dane had, did have dreams of getting out of the town and doing different things. Um, but he didn't pursue those and he stayed. Um, yeah, and and it's the same thing with you know, like you said, with Blaze and Stephen, the parents. You know, Stephen was also raised in the town, stayed in the town, built a business in the town. He's very involved in the town. He's very involved mm-hmm. in the local council, um, and he feels like he's a big part of the town. Um, and Dane is kind of following in his footsteps. Whereas Blaze, um, she had a career as a musician. Um, she was in a band. They had some. They had some success in the eighties, um, and that was kind of where she was going. Um, then she met Stephen and and moved to Penton and, and, um, and changed her life. And Josh has kind of done the same thing as, as Blaze. Um, he, he's left to pursue uh, a career um, in the media and um, he, he can't fathom a life in Penton. He can't fathom that, that sort of, sort of, sort of life. And um, 
you know, there are costs to making those decisions and, and that's what we see in the book. Yeah. Just absolute sidebar here. Sometimes when you're caught up in a narrative, you forget about timings and the like. And it had not struck me that, yeah, Blazer's career would have been in the 80s. And I don't know why. I, I think I must have been thinking of some sort of like um, uh, John Johnny and June Carter Cash type of situation. But realistically, we're talking more like Deborah Conway, Shantuzzi's type situation. Yeah, I mean, into in my head, she was kind of like a Cindy Lauper type, you know, <laughs> and and Cindy and because sort of about the same time, and in um and believe it or not, this is going to make you feel old. Next year, Cindy Lauper's turning seventy. Oh my goodness! I know. <laughs> I mean, I still see she's pop- been sixty nine just recently, so I know I, she's turning seventy next year. <laughs> I still see popping up on the socials people like doing side by sides of Cher, and they're just like, we need to start considering oh. that Cher is a vampire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she doesn't change. I've got a question that I really wanted to ask, and I realised where I placed this question kind of um, pointed at at sort of light spoilers for the narrative. I feel like I've now sufficiently muddled the the, the thread, uh, the water in the thread, that I can ask this without giving a much away about a character. I was really hoping you could uh, reflect a little bit on what you were exploring around queer identity and towns and the way people are able to navigate those identities in, as we've already sort of described, Dane, Dane describes that sort of the grapevine close community. Mm. Well, the, the, the character you're talking about is Jack. So, um, okay, there you go. That she, was the spoiler I was worried about. <laughs> yeah. And that, that comes out pretty, that comes out pretty early in the, in, in the, um, in, in the book. Um, yeah, and we know that she has had um, relationships with men and women. Mm. Um, and when she returns to Pent and tells um, her family that she's getting married um, to a man, they're, they're not really sure what to make of it because they she's never really talked about her sexuality. Um, they have met um, boyfriends of hers in the past very briefly. Um but she really struggled with it in high school. And that's what we sort of learn about with some kind of flashback stuff in, in, in the book that she really struggled with her identity in high school because she was uh, um, attracted to both men and women. She, she didn't really, she, she worked, um, she worked in a, in a, in a gay bar when she was um, after high school and where all women were in, in that bar were all attracted to women. So there was that one side of thing. And yet, um, you know, the town and her family, you know, women were supposed to be attracted to men. So she was really unsure of her feelings and, and, you know, she was attracted to men and women, but she wasn't really sure what to make of that. Um, and that's, I, I, I wouldn't say um, it's a huge problem at this point when we meet her in the story it's not a huge problem she's come to she she knows who she is she knows her identity um the question about whether she wants to go through with this marriage um is more about whether she wants to settle down with this person it's not about whether she wants to be with a man or a woman it's just about whether she wants to be with this person and is she getting married for the right reasons Mm. um so that's kind of the thing that she's struggling with when she comes to pent um and that that's that gets resolved by the end of the book but that's kind of a question for her going through the book is is is, does does she really want to get married to this person now and why there was a really interesting dynamic though that i just i just wanted to note i think um you know a first pass kind of reaction to this idea of of um how how your identity is able to 
form in different spaces. We might people would say, "Oh, well, in a small town, you you feel claustrophobic. You go to the big city, you've got space, and you can explore who you are." But I felt like what we learned about Jack was she wasn't looking for space so much as anonymity. She didn't feel like yeah. she needed more room. She actually, she really had a lot of trouble confronting herself and wanted to get lost. Almost like I can't a, a way to not look at yourself. Whereas in a town, you're constantly reflected back through the people who know you so well. Yeah, and I think I think you know one of the reasons she left was because um, she she was she was grappling with this. Yes, but it was more um, it was more the the relationship with her, her mother and she just felt very stifled um, in, in that household and in that relationship and she wanted to get away from it. Um, but I think the way she's been living her life in Sydney is more a reflection, not, not so much of um, her identity, um, her sexual identity, but more a reflection of her personality in the in terms of, and, we, and we, we do sort of learn towards the end of the book some more reasons, the, the reason why she um, has is having trouble settling down with, with somebody. Um, so it's not really the question of, you know, the, the, the sexuality is more about, um, it's more about the commitment side of, yeah. side of things for her. And, 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 yeah. um, and not wanting to, you know, she, she's not an open person. She doesn't want, she doesn't let people into her life and into her world. You know, she constantly changes jobs. And as soon as people start to get too close, um, she, she sort of moves on and it's, and, and it's, it's kind of a protection mechanism. And, and we learn more about that, more about why um, towards the end of the book. And I guess there is um, for Jack and I want to, <laughs> It's amazing how we, I feel like we've skirted around like broadly the first couple of chapters, um, but, but really, realistically, we've, we've, we've delved in throughout the book, but realistically, this is a character-driven book. My enjoyment and what I wanted to talk about really focuses around the way you build up these characters through their engagements from the beginning of the novel with each other, but also the way we explore who they are. And with Jack, she has... I don't want to, you know, I don't want to box her in by sort of saying she has very fixed ideas, but I found when when she arrives in town, she's exploring this relationship that she had with her father. And when the car accident starts to look a little bit like, you know, so there could be something more to it, she's really shocked at the idea that it might not have been an accident or that there is evidence mm-hmm. suggesting that it wasn't an accident. Yes. Before we Before we get into that side of things... The relationship that each of the siblings had with their father, tell us about it and why it, why it is important to, to, I guess, what each of them are exploring through the novel. Yeah, I mean, I guess the first thing to say about what you were talking about with Jack is that she, I mean, she kind of does have fixed ideas in a mm. sense that, you know, she has an idea of what Pent is like. She has an idea of what her mother is like um, and she has an idea of what her father is like. And these all get challenged when she comes back to Pent. Um you know, because she sees the town has changed, um, her relationship, you know, she's, she has a very sort of combative relationship with her mother. Um, and that begins to, to sort of soften over the, um, over the course of the book. And, um, she has fixed ideas about her father. She's very close to her dad. Um, and this, idea that he could have deliberately run himself off the road doesn't accord with the man she feels she knew and knows. Um, so that 
really throws her off kilter. And um, a lot of the book you were sort of talking about before that this, the, the cover and the aesthetic of this book is kind of that mystery element. There is that mystery going through the book of, because, you know, Stephen's in hospital, he's, um, he's in a coma. She can't ask him what's going on in his life. So she's got this period of time where she's struggling with this idea, these two ideas of the father who she thought she knew a man who was, um, in, in so much emotional pain, um, that he would, that he would want to end it. Um, and, and the, the loving father that's the, and, and the only person that she feels in her life that she's really, really close to, mm-hmm. and she can't talk to him about it. So that's a, um, that's something that really weighs on her mind and is, is her, one of her driving forces through this book is to try to, to, to find out what was going on, um, with her dad, you know, in the meantime, while she can't ask him. Mm. Um, with the, with the others, um, you know, Dane sees his father as, as a very strong man. He, he does have a very strong personality. He's got very, um, he's, he's very established in the town. He's got very fixed views about how to run his business and he expects Dane to follow along with those views. He has very fixed ideas of what a man's role is, you know, in, in a family and in the business and all these types of things. And, and Dane's trying to, to live up to that. Um, he doesn't want to disappoint his father, but he has different ways, you know, like if he, you know, he, he's, he's now called on to run the business in his dad's absence and he, he wants to do it differently. Um, so, but then he doesn't want to disappoint his father. So it's a, uh, it, you know, and, and he's not keen about the, um, about the church development, um, but he has to sort of pick up the slack in his father's absence and, um, and, and, and run with that, which is a, a source of conflict for him. For Josh, there's been a, um, a really long period of um, kind of, you know, not, not, not getting along with his father because they haven't given each other the time mm. to try to get to know each other properly. You know, Josh sort of felt like as a child that he was um, left left out of his father's life because his father was busy trying to establish himself in the town and run his business and get on the school, get on the um, council, um, the town council, all those kinds of things. So Josh sort of felt left out and those, those feelings of abandonment uh, remain um, and have, and have kind of, you know, escalated into, into arguments in the past. And so now Josh is concerned, you know, what if something happens to his dad in hospital? What if his dad doesn't come through? What if he tries again? You know, are they ever going to be able to resolve their differences? So that that's really weighing heavily on Josh's mind. Mm. In each of the men, so Josh, Josh has had a career catastrophe and as he arrives in Pent, we learn he's put on some 20 kilograms. He's, you know, basically been hiding out and and struggling to kind of face the world. Dane, we see this constant refrain of of thwarted ambitions and he's always going to do the thing he dreams tomorrow. Mm. And and then Stephen, we've we've just gone at length on about, you know, what is possibly the cause of the car crash that has put Stephen in hospital. But it's very hard for all of them to talk about the fact that this might be affecting them more than just simply reacting to circumstance. Jack is our Jack is emblematic of this, but why is it so hard for Jack? Why is it so hard for so many of us to face the possibility of depression for men? Like why do why do your take on this? Why do men have such such difficulty? Well, I mean, I think you know, I mean, we know for men that, um, I mean, we had, we have about nine suicides in Australia, um, every day, seven of those are men. Um, you know, so they're three times more likely to take their lives than, than women. So, you know, men, you know, 
society are, are struggling. Um, and I think it stems from, you know, the societal, the societal pressures that we place on men, the structures, you know, that we have in place, um, you know, the, for men and, and, and men feeling like they need to live up to a certain ideal. They need to fulfill a certain role. They need to act in a certain way. Um, and this, this creates a lot of, a lot of freshers and, you know, and, and particularly for Stephen who's, who's older and has grown up in a, um, he's grown up in a rural environment where, you know, there's this kind of tough it out attitude. And um, as we say in the book, you know, that's great when you're facing a drought, but it's not so great when you're facing mental health problems and you need mm. to reach out for help. Um, so he, he's, um, you know, that's kind of his, his thinking. And also there's, you know, there's, you know, a small town, there's stigma. It's, um, it's, it's difficult to, to reach out, um, for help. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think all these things kind of convalesce and, um, you know, and, and, you know, in rural, in rural, um, settings in particular, it's, you know, the, the suicide rates and the rates of depression are even worse. You know, you, you know, farmers, male farmers um, experience suicide and depression at a higher rate than non-male farmers in, in rural areas even. So even that demographic is, there's a much higher, there's a much higher rate of, um, of mental health issues. So, um, yeah, I did, I definitely wanted to talk about these issues in the book and, and, and raise them and, and highlight them. Um, I did some work a few years ago with the, um, we had a Royal Commission here in Victoria into our mental health system. Um, I worked with the Royal Commission on um, putting together their report and just, yeah, I mean, there was, I read a lot of evidence from people who had been let down by the system um, and it's, it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Um, and I just wanted to, I really wanted to, to, to highlight some of these issues and particularly from a male perspective because it's a particular problem for men. Mm. Matt, it is, thank you so much. That, I mean, that's a, that's a tough question to ask because it is, if we, if we had the answers, we would be doing able to do more. The stigma is real. About now, um, I'm just going to actually mention one three one 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 four is the number for Lifeline. We're gonna. I think we'll chuck that at the beginning of the um, the interview as well because these are tough conversations. They are important conversations. So if it's impacting you, anyone out there, um, catching my conversation with Matthew Ryan Davies about things we bury, then help is available. And yeah. Things We Bury is, it's Matt's debut adult novel. He has, he has an extraordinary amount of writing. You might not be able to find it all unless you're, you know, reading science (laughs) textbooks. But Matt, thank you so much for taking the time to appear on Final Draft. Thanks for having me. It's been a great conversation. That's it for this great conversation with Matthew Ryan Davies. Matthew's new book is Things We Bury. It is out now from Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and the Gunungurra people. Thank you for joining me. The show is presented and produced by Andrew Popel. And we would love to hear from you. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. The handle is at FinalDraft2SER. Let me know. What are you enjoying? What are you reading? I am Andrew Popel. I will be back next week with another great conversation with an incredible Australian author here on Final Draft. I look forward to hearing from you too. But till then, happy reading. Bye for now.